0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're in the month of Elul, and I want to tie together a, a bunch of teachings uh, with the with the goal of just trying to lay out um, a conceptual framework for us to have the best Elul, or or put another way, how we can make the most out of Elul, because we're at this juncture in the year, which is which is very unique, and there's sort of like this time space portal, if you will or or just the the the, the, the fabric of the time that we 're in right now is is very um, is very fit for a certain type of um service and and to know this is is really to benefit from it and um I just like to just give an overview for a moment. We're really going to talk about Elul, but I just want you to just to have this in mind in general, just for our kind of our Jewish literacy, um, but but also um, just to set up this discussion of Elul in a more detailed way. You see, every single month really has its own personality, and that's expressed in a lot of different ways. Every single month has its own um, letter, which corresponds to it—the letter of the aleph base. Um, so we'll look at the month of uh, Elul's letter, which is the letter Yud, and go deeper into that. Uh, every month has a zodiac sign. In in in, in Torah language, we call it the, the mazel of the month. Um, and and every month has a different permutation of the four-letter holiest name of God. Uh, Every month has a certain number of um, parshas, Torah portions, which are almost always read during during that month. And every month also has a tribe, 12 months, 12 tribes, a tribe that corresponds to it. Um, And every month, because in leap years you have 13 months, you have the 13 attributes of mercy. So every month has a different attribute of the 13 attributes of mercy, which corresponds to it. That 's something the uh, I just learned from the uh, the Imre Noam the Jacobi Rebbe. so that 's um that 's another key and then when you combine all these things together, what happens is you get a real sense of the time that you 're living in, and so it 's a beautiful way to 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 go through life because you when you enter into a new month there 's a whole different personality it 's like a whole different um a whole different place that you're entering, essentially. And this way you actually know what place you're in. And that, that's very important because obviously if you're ordering sushi, right, at an Italian restaurant, <laughs> you're going to get very frustrated <laughs> after a while <laughs> because you don't know what place you're in. So that's that's the way it is also in terms of going through the year. Now, Elul is a especially great opportunity. And I just want to lay out a number of things. And also another thing that uh, to throw in for the months is great historical events in Jewish history that have happened during those months because that also very strongly impacts the, the personality of the time. So I want to throw out just a, a, a number of things, um, and we're going to try to put them all together and see how they all connect Um, and maybe get a a deeper, more coherent understanding of this great opportunity um, that God is giving us with this month of Elul. So the month of Elul, the tribe that corresponds to it is Gad. And Gad means good mazel. The letter is Yud. Um, The historical event that's primary in Elul is the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu went up and on the first day of Elul got the second luchos, the second set of tablets. And that's, that's really, that's very, very significant. The zodiac sign, the mazel of Elul is the basula, the virgin. And that's, that's very meaningful as well, as we'll see. And the, the larger construct is that this month, as much as it's really begins in Elul and ends in Elul, this time span really builds and builds and then just kicks into high gear at Rosh Hashanah and culminates with Yom Kippur. So as much as that's the first 10 days of the next month of Tishrei, right? Because Rosh Hashanah is the first day of Tishrei and Yom Kippur is the 10th day of Tishrei, nonetheless, when you attach those to Elul, that is a 40-day period, and then that's really all what we're talking about right now. The, the, the significance of that is that that correlates, that, that those 40 days correlate with the 40 saw. Saw is a measurement, a liquid measurement. And the four, you need 40 saw of water in order to make a mikvah. So Elul to Yom Kippur is one big mikvah, okay, and we're going to talk more about that later. But just while we're on the point, let me just tell you how exact this mikvah imagery is. Of course, mikvah is a, <clears throat> a place where we go for, for purification, where we, you know, go underwater and then we come up and there's a, a level of purification that that comes to to men and women both. So that's, that's a very beautiful thing. Now, I told you that there are 40 saw, 40 measurements, and each one of those measurements will correspond with a different day from Elul to Yom Kippur, right? But listen to how amazing this is. A saw, one of those units of 40, is actually the liquid measure can be broken down further. Like you know how you have a certain number of pints in a gallon, right? So there's a smaller number. There's a there's a smaller measurement which make up one saw, and that's a log. And there are 24 logan in one saw. So that's just like the 40 saw correlate with the 40 days. Each saw has 24 logan which correlate with the 24 hours within each day. So again, that's an that's an an amazingly exact bit of imagery showing you that from Elul to Yom Kippur, it's like drop, 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 right? Every every single moment until we've got this incredible mikvah, or perhaps the entire time is a mikvah, right? But it just really comes to culmination in Yom Kippur, which is the 40th day. So we're going to try to combine all of these things, all of these things. And Before we do that, I want to touch on the the, the Parsha just a little bit. Because the Parsha Ki Tavo is one of these Parshas, as I mentioned, that's always read during Elul. So this is to understand the the Torah portions that we read during this time is to get another aspect of the personality of of this time that we're in. And to allow us to get, again, the most out of um, our heavenly service and by the way, all of these things will tie together in one very meaningful way, which is that they're all designed to give us the best Rosh Hashanah. Because on Rosh Hashanah, Elul, of course, is leading into Tishrei, and the first day of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the day that we stand before the king and the judgment for the year comes down. And of course, it's as the rabbis teach, it's written on Rosh Hashanah and sealed on Yom Kippur. Right, So we have really those 10 days. So as much as Rosh Hashanah is like like the day, and that's true, at the same time though, we, we really have to understand Rosh Hashanah in the context of Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur is really when it, when it gets sealed. So, but all of these different things that we've been discussing about Elul are all designed to give us the best year. And that's why Elul is coming right before Rosh Hashanah. And you'll see how all these things that we mentioned are really coming to to maximize the best, best decree for for Rosh Hashanah. So so the rabbis did something really beautiful and sensitive, which is that when they were dividing up the Torah into uh, weekly parshas, so which units were to be read for each week and to make it fit the year, they noticed something, which is that there are two different sections in the Torah where there are curses, and there's like a whole run of curses. Like basically, they're called klalot. That's that's better uh, a klala. That's a that's a better word than the English translation. Um, as we'll see, we're going to delve into it a little bit more, the the, the Hebrew of it. Okay, um, but it's it's not great stuff. So as much as I sort of like rail against English translations all the time. Curse isn't a horrible translation, but I think that maybe a better translation, or a you know, would be um, negative consequences. In other words, we will experience it as a curse, but it's not. If you do this, like um, it's like it's like if you run into the wall, you will bang your head. Now you could say that's the curse of running into a wall. Well, not really it's telling you don't run into the wall so so in other words we we have free choice, and what God is telling us is the consequences to certain ones of our actions and 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 that's that's important because a lot of times we we want to throw the blame back on God when if we sort of like look at the court records, it's sort of like. And then you borrowed that and didn't return it, right? Well, you know, when you borrow something and you don't return it consistently after years, we might start to use the word theft. (laughs) (laughs) So at a certain point, um, we have to look at, you know, so to speak, our actions objectively and ask ourselves to what extent am I responsible for that? And to what extent did I bring that on? You know, you know. Just to give you one example, I was working in this very sort of bohemian neighborhood, you know, with all sorts of um, very artistic, um, extremely tattooed uh, people, you know, where they hang out and whatnot. And I was just doing some writing at a coffee shop there, and there was this woman with this really kind of angry look, you know, and. I don't even remember how she was dressed or wasn't dressed, but but I do remember her neck was really tattooed, right? And she sat down with this guy, and, you know, sometimes at uh, coffee shops and things like that, tables are right on top of each other, so it's not like you're eavesdropping, but you, you can't help but hear the other conversation. And she said in this, like, really angry voice to this guy, something like, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like, And once again, I have no idea why he got mad at me, but... And I'm thinking, wow, you know. (laughs) You know what, I just... I haven't even met you, and I've got about 19 ideas. (laughs) You know? So, (laughs) So, you know, sometimes we've got to kind of ask ourselves to what extent am I liable, to what extent am I responsible for this stuff that I'm blaming on God. You know? And so that's why, to return back to this, to this definition, or this translation of klalot, which are translated as curses, they're really negative consequences. God is saying, don't do these things, because these things will happen. Now the bowl is on our court. What, what are you going to do with that information? Right? So, so that's, but, but, But the sensitivity of the rabbis was the following, which is that the way the Torah portions lay out, really, this Torah portion with with this block of curses, the other one is months ago, it happens before Shavuos, um, which is approximately in May, um, the rabbis didn't want this to be the last Parsha that we read before going into Rosh Hashanah, because they didn't want us to have this aspect of God, or whatever it is, color our relationship in terms of going into Rosh Hashanah, that this this sort of fear-based kind of mentality. And so they decreed that this would always be the second-to-last Parsha that we read, so that we have another Parsha afterwards, another Torah portion afterwards, sort of like to, as a palate cleanser, if you will, you know, before going into Rosh Hashanah so that we don't go in with that heightened sense of fear. And again, the fact that they made this decree at all should tell us how much the rabbis love us and how much they want us to understand how much God loves us. Because it would have been, they they didn't have to do anything to avoid this but A, they were sensitive to the fact that this was happening, and B, they wanted to avoid the negative repercussions that would happen from this because they don't want to misrepresent God. And so when we approach God as judge on Rosh Hashanah, the very fact that all these klalot, all these negative consequences have been pushed away so that that's not what's foremost in our mind is very, very telling about who the one who's judging us is? And of course, the one who's judging us is the one who loves us the most. That's 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 the headline. That's the headline. But remember, it's like a kaleidoscope. There are many, many paradigms in terms of our relationship with God. You have the king and subject, right? But you also have the shir-shirim aspect, the the idea of two lovers. That's also very much part of it. And you have the parent and child. And so, and you have the best friends. And all of these paradigms that I just mentioned are all brought in Tanakh, all brought in the Torah at different times. And so we we have a very multifaceted relationship with God. But the the, the core aspect that has to inform us is is is, is that, that sense of closeness. And while you have to have Ava and Yira, meaning to say that that the, the, the healthy, balanced spiritual person will have an, will have equal measures of love and awe, at the same time you, you, you need both so so awe at, sometimes translated as fear, but fear is a lower level of awe, but nonetheless it's it's a sense that you don't want to do anything to disturb the relationship, like for instance, you know it's like it's like if you're very, very close to someone you you don't want to anger them a because you love them and b because you just you're afraid you're going to damage the relationship because the relationship is so meaningful and so that's that's maybe a better sense of fear that the fear is not um fear of punishment based although that is an aspect of it as well you know we I don't want to misrepresent our tradition but that's considered a lower level of it but the higher level of that fear is fear that I'm going to negatively um, impact the relationship. And so I want to be on my best behavior because I love the other one so much. Because I love God so much. So that's, that's, I'm just trying to balance the perspective of, of, what, of, of what our relationship with God ideally is. Now, going more into these klalons. I want to just touch on something that I think is very interesting. It's a pretty long section within the within the um, parsha, and um, there are six hundred and seventy six words in it. Okay, six hundred and seventy six words, and um, that is very interestingly. Remember the the holiest name of God, the Yud k Vav right? Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, right? Also known as the Tetragrammaton, right? So the holiest name of god the, the numerical value of that is 26 so listen to something very very interesting here and we're going to go deeper into this idea in a moment there are 676 words in the kloloe in this run of negative consequences right and that is 676 is 26 times 26 26 squared and that name of God stands for mercy or rachamim. So, so I mentioned to you at another point, but here you see a very beautiful illustration of this this point that we've we've studied before, is that if you remember the word Vayahi, when the, the Gemara says in Megillah that when you see this word Vayahi, it portends something negative, right? And yet Vayahi has all the letters of the yudke vovke in it. It has vav for va, yud, and he. Right? The only so it has all the letters of the yud ke vav vovke. The only difference is in the word vaihi, there are two yuds and one he. Whereas in the name of God, you have one yud and two heys. And what we said before was this is my own uh, analysis is that in the Yud ke vav Ke, we all know that Yud, which is on top, stands for this tremendous source of light. And He is a vessel. So you have this tremendous source of light, one Yud, and two hay's, two vessels to hold that outpouring of light. And that's Hashem's name, his holiest name. And that's proper. Right? That, that works. In Vayahi, which portends something negative, you have all the letters of Hashem's name, but you have two Yuds and only one He two beacons of incredible light, and only one vessel to hold it. Which means to say that when some, when we experience a bad time or hard times or whatever it is, because we know that God is good and that everything that emanates from God is good, on a very deep spiritual level, the dynamic is the following. There's too much light and we don't have the vessels to hold it. Whatever it is, our life our circumstances, or our personality, whatever it is, is not in a place that it can hold and harness the light that's coming out. Now with that in mind, let's revisit this amazing thing in Parshas Ki Tavo, that there's 676 words in this run called the curses, the tochacha in Hebrew it's called, and that 676 is what? 26 times 26. In other words, it's too much light. It's too much light. We're at a place where we don't have vessels to hold that light. Now listen to this. We're going to go deeper. The word for curse that they use in this Parsha is arur. Arur. now they use the word klala also, but they also use very prominently the word arur. Arur is very, very interesting because arur has the word or in it. Or means light. Isn't that interesting? Why would the word curse have the word or? Aleph, Vav, Resh. And then it has a second Resh. We're going to talk about that second Resh in a moment. But three out of the four letters of the word curse spell out the word light. Aleph, Vav, Resh. Or. Again, there's too much light. Because of this second reish, what, what does reish stand for? So reish, reish means, the Gemara says in Gemara Shabbos, page 104, it says, reish stands for the word Russia, wickedness. Reish can also stand for the word rosh, which means head, which means reish has this dual quality. It can stand for the lowest, but it also Signifies the ability for a person to come back to God and to have free choice. So, auror, this word which is translated as curse, is spelled with the word light, aleph vav resh, or, and then there's one more resh, because in this instance, we use the resh, our free choice, incorrectly and chose Russia, wicked. Again, the ball, here was the light, the ball was in our court, we made the wrong choice, it comes out in a negative way. And that whole blueprint of all the dynamics of that is right in the Hebrew word itself. Do you see? So so this light is coming down at all times, and the question is, what do we do with this light? What do we do with this light? And now let's get back into Elul. Because Elul is, 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 is addressing this question head on. And Elul is telling us strategies for what to do with this light and how to make vessels for this light so that we can harness it for the new year. Now remember, there's a very interesting dynamic that you see during the year. Which is, every single month, the last Shabbos of every single month, we bless the next month. It's called Shabbos Mavorchin. Okay? The Shabbos of blessing. Now there's one exception of the whole year for that, which is the end of Elul, the month we're in right now. The last Shabbos of Elul, when we should be blessing the month of Tishrei, we don't do it. Why don't we do it? So as I understand it, it's because that light of the new year hasn't entered into the world yet. It enters into the world on Rosh Hashanah. And so since that light, it's not not like during the year, so to speak, it's like a relay race, you know, where you pass the baton to the next person and then he runs with it. It's like the light comes down in, in Tishrei for the year and then each month, we pass the light on to the next month and we try to give it an extra blessing and based on our own um, schusim, our own merits that we may have, you know, hopefully earned during that month, the way the light comes down for the next month might be slightly different. Like, for instance, they say that, that one's parnosa, one's livelihood, is decreed on Rosh Hashanah. So they say, well, what happens if someone has, like, you know, gets their act together and, like, really, like, improves themselves, will they get more money, like, for the year? Or is that the same decree from Rosh Hashanah, and it doesn't really matter their actions? So so the rabbis answer something very interesting, which is that the, the money will come down exactly how and when you need it. You know, so a lot of times, like, you know, sometimes... You'll be like fearing, how am I going to pay this bill? And then maybe at, uh, maybe, hopefully, we've all experienced this at one point, which is that the the just the money came, and you are like, ah, oh, thank God, you know, it's like a miracle. But how about this version, where you never have to have the crisis to begin with, <laughs> right? You know, so that's kind of what it's talking about where it's sort of like the money's going to come in the right way at the right time so that it's, it's optimal for us. And, you know, sometimes I think um, of this example. Uh, I'm sure you've all seen this on some uh, TV show at some point, something that the, um, the, uh, the Jewish people in Israel, like, you know, sort of revolutionized agriculture in, 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 in desert areas with something called um, drip irrigation, you have all probably seen uh, footage of this, where they instead of like just spraying, you know, you know, sandy fields with huge amounts of water that they don't have basically, so huge amounts gets wasted. They 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 place a little hole in a pipe right where the plant is, and it goes drip right where you need it. An amazing thing! It's an amazing thing. Sounds so obvious, you know. Like, now that it's been invented, you go, oh, of course. But, you know, no one thought of it. So that's kind of this idea of drip irrigation, you know, in terms of getting it when you need it. Okay. But let's return back to the larger idea here right now, which is that in Elul, that's the only month in the year that we're not blessing the the next month, right? Because the next month isn't just Tishrei. That's a new year. When a new light is coming down. So we can't continue to pass the light anymore because we're at the end of the run. Because now a new light is coming down. Do you hear? So now, what did we say? What did we say? Do we have vessels to hold the light? That's the question now. Do we have vessels to hold this light that's going to be coming down on Rosh Hashanah or not? So Elul is all about making these vessels to make sure that we're going to have the vessels to hold the light. Okay? So so now let's get into some of the, the preparation and the advice. And all these are all the seemingly symbolic things that we associate with Elul that we listed at the beginning of the talk let's now revisit them now that we have the proper context to understand some of the depth that they're suggesting and 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 some of the practicality that this imagery is 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 instructing us so so the first thing that I'd like to suggest is to revisit this idea of the mikveh you see the mikveh is it's true. It's, it's a place where one goes to purify themselves. And by the way, you want to hear something really interesting? I saw this from the um, Imre Noam, the Jikovah Rebbe, that when one goes to the mikvah in Elul, and he had a whole complicated way of learning this out that I, I, I can't give over to you right now, um, but, but the bottom line was that when you go to the mikvah in Elul, dunk 13 times. Okay? So this is this is bringing out um, this is bringing out something very deep about Elul, and I can tell you something. I always, when I, I go to the mikveh, erev Shabbos, erev Yom and um, Reb Shlomo told me to go underwater seven times. That that was the that, that was the um, the uh, the custom of the Bashemtov that that he would go seven times. So I learned that from Reb Shlomo. So I always do seven times. So I thought to myself, well, you know, I had learned this Friday morning 13 times in Elul for the first time, right? I heard that and I thought, listen, if I'm learning that Friday morning and I go on Friday and it's Elul, I got to do it, right? So I did it 13 times and I felt like, I felt completely different when I got out of the mikvah. I got to tell you, I don't know why, but it was like, wow, okay. So anyway, so I shared that with you. By the way, let me just... um, Pause to tell you something. I'm so thrilled to be learning this this safer just just to begin, you know, just dipping like the smallest pinky toe into it. The Imre Noam, that's the that's the name of the book of the of the Jacobi Rebbe. Again, he was the, the grandson. One time I told you he was the son, but he's he's the grandson of the the Rupeshutze Rebbe, who is, you know one of the greatest students of Rebbe Elimelech of Luzhensk and, and a contemporary of the Chozov of Lublin, the Seer of Lublin, and many other great people, the Ruminover. So, anyway. So, I think the highlight of my, my, just my first introduction to actually learning his Sefer was when he brought down a teaching, the Jacobi Rebbe brought down a teaching from the Magali Amukos, And Magali Amukos is, you know, one of the greatest Kabbalists ever, and he was a chief rabbi of Krakow around the time of 1600, which at that point was the greatest rabbinic post in the world. So, and of course, Magali Amukos means the revealer of the depths. It's really one of the greatest, greatest. And, uh, you know, just to say the names is such a, a blessing to say it and to hear it. And so... So at one point during this piece on Elul and Tshuva, the Jehovah Rebbe says, and I'm bringing a teaching now of the Magali Amukos. And I was so happy. and And I was trying to explain why I was so happy. And it's like, this is kind of the example that came to me. It's like, imagine you find out the Queen of England is throwing a a parade, right? This Sunday. So you say, okay, the Queen of England is throwing a parade this Sunday. Now imagine the Queen of England tells you personally, I'm throwing a parade this Sunday. Right? Same piece of information, (laughs) but it's completely different. It's completely different. So to be able to hear the Jikovar explaining to you the Magali mukos right? You're doing something right. You're in the right company. This is so special. It's so special to be receiving God's word from Mount Sinai, basically. From, from, from this, this line of, of teachers, from this line of of communication, there's uh, because you're connected with the the inside of the inside of the inside of the inside. So, so this idea of the mikvah. So on the one hand, the mikvah is something that purifies you, and that teaching alone is all that you need to know. You're getting into this time place is getting you into a place of purification for. Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. That's all you need to know. But I thought of something that I think is even deeper, actually, because remember, maybe not deeper, but certainly adding to this, approaching it from a different angle. Remember the 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 the, the name Elul is Rosh Tevos. Is, it's an acronym for Ani ledodi V'Dodi I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. Right. That's referring to again this sense of intimacy between us and God, because God is so available at this, at this time during the year. Okay, Now let's revisit this idea of the mikvah. When does one go to the mikvah, classically? Before intimacy with one's loved one. And so now the idea, the imagery of the mikvah at this time during the year combining it with this idea of this time of great love, the whole imagery of a mikvah becomes something very different. It's not just purification from whatever I did wrong. It's preparation for a greater degree of intimacy in the most beautiful way. Something else, right? This is something else. And now, the idea that the zodiac sign, the mazel of Elul is the basula, is the virgin, takes on a completely different context. It's the person who's getting ready to be close. And we said last year, what, is it, what does it mean just in a, in a sort of a broader way, a virgin? A virgin is someone who's never experienced something in particular. And what did we just say? Rosh Hashanah, a new light that none of us has ever experienced is coming down. So in that way, that's, a, that's an accurate description of all of us. So we who have never experienced this new light that's coming down, are getting ready for this close communion now this word this word for for the for the masel, for the zodiac sign bisula is also this this idea of conception of motherhood of someone waiting to become a mother and so that's the idea that Elul, the month of Elul, is the conception ground for the year that's about to happen. So all of our actions during Elul are creating vessels because in another way, a basula is also a vessel for, for a child that's about to be born, Right? Right? The womb is a vessel. So so all of our actions during Elul are vessels to hold the light for the new year that's about to come down. And that's why we have to prepare ourselves. That's why we have to prepare ourselves. And we prepare ourselves with two main features. Sur meirah, tov, right? Do good and avoid bad. That is the, remember, that's the classic, it's a classic overview of human actions. And of course, what they say, I heard in the name of the Ari, what was damaged in the Garden of Eden, our ability to know when to act and when to refrain from acting. And if you think about it, all of, Human action can be boiled down into those two categories. When to act, when to refrain from acting. Sur me tov. And so that's creating the vessels in Elul for this new light. Refining our behavior. And looking over and making very practical things. Because Elul, to give you another piece of Elul, is the month of action. That's the mida, that's the quality that needs to be fixed in Elul, is action. You see, this is the time of doing. Resolutions aren't bad. That's good, and that's a first step. But doing, when you can actually build the vessel, when you can actually take a relationship that's broken and make a concrete step to rectify it in some way, when you can ask yourself, well, you know, this has been undone for, you know, I haven't done this project or I finished this project or sent this letter or made this phone call, whatever it is, it has extra impact because not so much that you're fixing that problem, that is important, but you're saying, I'm the one who's going to fix the problems. And and that that level of change is very important. Because remember, there are three main ways to fix something, to do tshuva. One is tefila, that means prayer. One is tzedakah, that's charity. But the most powerful of all three is tshuva. And the reason is because when I do tshuva, when I return to God, when I rectify my personality and my actions, I'm now not the person that I was before. Now, tefila. When I make a prayer, okay, that's that can come from my heart, and it's very powerful. Like the world can change from great prayers. There's no question about it. I don't mean to be under, underestimating or, uh, you know, undervaluing the the tremendous power of prayer. I'm not. But it's a prayer. Sadaka can be a tremendous, tremendous act. You give charity. Again, it can absolutely change the world. It can save lives. Not to minimize it at all. But when I do tshuva, I am directly changing myself and I'm becoming someone else. Because the person that I am right now is no longer the person who used to do this or the person who didn't do that. I am now a different person. And so whatever was decreed on the old me is no longer relevant for the new me. So that's why tshuva is the most powerful action of all of them. And that's why the rabbis explain tshuva was created before the world was created because it's not subject to the natural laws of the world. There's a supernatural quality which kicks in when one can change themselves like this. They alter the past and they alter their future. So... So, so, I want to add another aspect to Elul. So, again, to review some of these very deep points, we talked about this 40 day mikveh period. And not just as a time of purification, but a time of preparation for intimacy. And we talked about this being the time historically where the second luchos, the second tablets, were given. And if you think about it, in the context of everything that we've been saying up until now, it now seems so obvious why the second tablets were given right now. Because this is the time of second chances and fixing whatever we broke before. You know, as great as Pesach Sheini is, when you think of Elul in this context, it can't even compare. You've got an entire... 40 days of Pesach Sheni. Right? Pesach Sheni, the second Pesach, is when you got a chance one month later to bring the the, the Passover offering, which was sort of like your dues for membership in the Jewish people. It's a critical mitzvah if you missed it the first time. Right? So, So Hashem is taking what was broken, right, because the first tablets, the first luchos were smashed and he's putting them all back together again and giving us this reassembled covenant. And that's amazing. That's amazing. And remember, the second tablets came down what day? Yom Kippur. That's the, Moshe went up on the first day of Elul and he comes down with everything put together on Yom Kippur. So, so then that gives us, with that context, another, another um, deeper understanding of the basula of the virgin, which is that which may have been broken, like the first tablets were broken, all of a sudden becomes reassembled. And all of a sudden, I'm a new person again. So, so that's very, very deep too. And again, just to revisit the letter, to show you how all of this is acting, grammatically speaking, when you put the letter Yud, Rabbi Reisman, I saw this in his book, when you you put the letter Yud in terms of Hebrew grammar in front of a word, that changes it into the future tense. So all of these things that we're talking about, of Elul, is what? Looking toward Rosh Hashanah, looking toward Yom Kippur. All of this is geared toward the future year harnessing the energy, being able to make vessels of the new light that's about to come down. Because we don't want to be in this place where it's sort of like we don't have vessels for the light. So, so I can just tell you on a very personal level, when when I, when I started learning all this stuff and integrating all of these ideas, I realized that basically this whole month is Rosh Hashanah. I mean, I thought that this is sort of like, okay, I'll do a couple of good things, maybe, hopefully, to get ready for Rosh Hashanah. And then all of a sudden it hit me, this whole month is Rosh Hashanah. But to me, that's great, because that you might go, ay vey, a whole month of Rosh Hashanah. I can hardly take one day of Rosh Hashanah. But that's not how it hit me. It took the pressure off. It was like, It was like the opposite. It was like, oh, I got a whole month okay. That means that um, instead of having a giant work assignment and basically one day to do it all, I all of a sudden have like 30 days to do it. Right? So that, I was like, okay. But it also told me this is for real. This time is for real. Really do it. Really do it. Really do it. And you know, most of us are old enough at this point and mature enough, hopefully, at this point of our lives to begin to ask ourselves some pretty nitty-gritty questions, which is, this thing that I haven't got to, or this thing which I'm still in the middle of, and I've been in the middle of it now, it's going on, what, second, third decade right now? (laughs) It's like, why not apply a little put-up-or-shut-up our own selves. Is, is is this for real? Am I ever going to get this done? Because if not, why don't I just tell myself I'm never getting it done and stop thinking about it? Or if I am going to get it done, when am I going to get it done? What positive action am I going to take right now to get it done? This thing right now that I'm in the middle of, is this messing up someone else? If it is, I've got to address that. Because if I'm standing in the way of someone else right now, I can't afford to continue to do that as a life plan. I can't. Let's let's bring some closure to some of these things that have just been that we've accepted there is no deadline to. That's a lie that we're telling ourselves that there's no deadline to these things. There is a deadline to these things. We've just decided to live in la la land and say that there is no deadline to these things. So let's be real with ourselves. And by the way, and I mean this in the sweetest, most inspiring way. Hear these words very carefully before I tell you what what I'm about to say. I mean this in the sweetest, most inspiring way. If you're not going to do it, maybe just give up on it. You know? Because it may be just one of those things at this point, which is not really a goal anymore, but just an agent of the Yetzirah to make you crazy. Now, that doesn't mean that any unfinished plan, therefore, give up on. No. Some of those things might be the most important things in your life and the reason why you were born to begin with. So please don't misinterpret me. Please don't misinterpret me. And, you know, on certain things, on a creative level, if you've been working on something forever and you haven't really revisited it, maybe it's done. (laughs) And maybe it's just as good as it's going to be but maybe just get it out of just just get it off your desk. <clears throat> and then just move on so that you can open yourself up for the next thing. So so again, I mean, my motto is never give up. So I I'm, I'm not saying any of this to be discouraging. What I'm saying is to be real and to bring closure to certain things that perhaps need a little bit of, you know, reality checking to. Especially if they impact other people and other people are relying on you for one thing or another. You know? Those things, I think, are the sneaky things that sort of creep into our life that we become desensitized to. And maybe in terms of the heavenly judgment, perhaps have more of an impact on our lives than we're aware of. I'm speculating, but I'm just throwing it out there as, a, as an idea. And we've sort of lost touch with the importance of it or how it maybe it's impacting other people. Perhaps, perhaps. So I'm just giving us areas to think about in terms of our own lives to make the most out of this time. Um... Let me just finish with, with one, one last idea. Um, and this is really a Rosh Hashanah idea, but we've been talking about Elul as getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah is really all about making God king. And, and by the way, there's a... a, 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 a a a, a talk that I gave a a couple of years ago that I'd really recommend that you listen to again at this time, if if you like. It's called These Ten Days, and it's talking about the period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I sort of recorded it. It was like all the collected Torahs that I said over at the Happy Minyan between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it's it's a good overview of this time just to kind of focus us in, okay? So... So without going into the depths of this, Rosh Hashanah is really about making God king. It's about the ma'chu shamayim, the kingship of heaven, and basically acknowledging that God is the only reality in existence, right? More real than us. So, so when you say shema, when you declare the oneness of, 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 of Hashem, of God, you're supposed to have in mind that you're you're macabling the ol malchus shemayim. That means that you're taking on. And the English translation of ol is yoke, the yoke of heaven. So I just want to go over those words with you, what what that means, because because Rosh Hashanah really is the the right? That's really the day that you're declaring that God is king, that He's the only one, and you're taking on His. O-Malchus the kingship of heaven. So, normally speaking, if you were to come up to me and say, what does it mean to makabul the O-Malchus And by the way, there's a beautiful thing with the letters. If you take the word Shema, which is Shin, Mem, Ayin, and go backwards with it, Ayin is the first letter of the word O. Mem, Malchus, Shin, Shemaim. O-Malchus That's contained within the letter Shema. Okay? So if you ask me, what does it mean to take on the kingship of heaven, I would tell you the following thing. This is as of before Shabbos, I would have told you this. <laughs> that I am, I, I'd start with the word I, I am making God king. Or I am taking on the, the responsibility or, or heeding the command to keep the Torah. Right? I am accepting that upon myself. That's more or less what I would have said. Okay? But then I listened to the words. Somehow on Shabbos morning, the words just, I heard the words completely differently. A makabling, O malchushamayim, makabal, means to receive. From the word kabbalah. Kabbalah means to receive. So wait a second. I thought I was doing something. This is the opposite. Receiving is, is, the, is the opposite. And in all this yoke, which is being thrown down from heaven to attach myself to God, there is a rope being thrown down from heaven. And now I have a chance to grab this rope to tie myself to heaven. It's like, can you imagine? It's like a person, God forbid, is drowning in the water and all of a sudden they throw a rope to him. And they say, I am grabbing this rope. <laughs> yeah, but I got maybe a, a, a better description of what just happened. Your life is being saved. <laughs> right? You are receiving, yeah, you might be grabbing a rope, but, but more to the point, you are receiving a rope that's being thrown your way. So that's very, very different. Again, all these things are like cumulative. They're like little things, but each little thing is a very big thing because all of these things color our relationship with God completely differently and are usually the opposite of what our sort of fear-driven, uneducated, Western-educated kind of orientation have directed us toward. So the idea that this 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 rope is coming down, and I'm receiving this rope, I'm choosing to grab onto it. Now let's talk about this idea of a yoke, right? I think yoke is is a, is a horrible explanation, because what is a yoke? A yoke is what you put on, say, an ox, right? Like a bit in its mouth so that it can pull a cart, right? And it's sort of like That's what I am? That's what I am to you, God? I'm a beast of burden? That's what I am? That's what you created me to be? Just someone who wants to do things and can't do things and doesn't want to do other things and must do those things? That's what I am? That's not what I am. That's not what God created us to be. That's one aspect of it. But if you remember, we talked about the other week, serving God with all of your hearts, It's in the plural. It's got the two-letter vases, right? One vase to serve Hashem with one's Yetzirah, negative inclination. That's the yoke aspect. But then what about our positive inclination? All the things that I want to do. Not that... All the things that I want to do, God, I want to do them for you. Not only that, but you're commanding me to do them. I'm sharing all the happy things with you, God, and I'm doing them for you. Not just I do... The stuff I don't want to do for you. And the other stuff, okay, you're you're cool with, but really it's kind of for me because I kind of like it. So really, I and that's like the the, the worst, of both, worst of both worlds, right? The stuff I don't want to do, I have to do because you tell me to do it. And the stuff that I want to do anyway, really I'm doing it for me, so, you know, doesn't make us any closer. Okay, so I don't get penalized for it. But that's not it. It's no, the things that I want to do are the things that... I'm attaching myself with you the most, right? Imagine you have a a a, a love affair with someone, and it's sort of like um, the things that you don't like to do, right? So it's sort of like, oh, I gotta clean the floor, and I gotta take out the garbage, and I gotta do the shopping, and I gotta fix the roof, right? At that point, you know you're not talking about me, right? So, um, but it's sort of like, you know, it's like the list of chores that you don't want to do. And so you, my loved one, will be with me for all of those things. And now, once we finish all those things, you know what I love to do? I love to go to the movies. I love to go to the beach. I love to all this stuff. Oh, that stuff I do on my own. <laughs> all those things I just do on my own. That's how so many of us structure our relationship with God. All the stuff I don't want to do, that's the stuff God's telling me to do. But the stuff that I really want to do, that's stuff I'm just doing me and my friends. God's not part of that. How could that be? So the the rope that's tying us to heaven, this idea of serving God, not just with your negative inclination, but with your positive inclination, with all the things that you love, mean that all the things that bring you the most joy you're also doing with God. And you're tying yourself to God with all aspects of your life. That's what it means to makabul the ol malchushamayim, to make God king, to receive this lifeline and to choose to grab it and to put it around the entirety of your existence so that you can really make God king and know him in all of your ways. Please, God, this should be a great elul a time when we all just jump into the mikveh and do the most actions and create the greatest, strongest vessels with our actions to receive this brand new light that's coming into the world, to ensure a fantastic year for us, for all the Jewish people, for everyone in the entire world, and that Hashem himself should have tremendous pleasure over his bria, over his creation.